We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Watched it twice, then Arsenal won 10 0 at the weekend. This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, I don't know when or if we're going to get my beloved 10 0 that I have been predicting for a long time. But if we rewatch both halves, then we've sort of got a 10 0, right? 5 0 at the weekend over Nottingham Forest. And we were saying this, right? That maybe the fixture computer had handed us a bit of a gift. We were saying that. Getting Nottingham Forest at home, Zurich at home, leading up to Chelsea, you know, that could have been the the tonic that Arsenal needed to get back to winning ways. And we did indeed do that. I am so glad to be here discussing a game like this because I think all of us, maybe, you know, the title of our last episode, should we worry? I guess the answer is no. And of course, obviously, my friends call me Whiskers. I'm a worrier. But like now I think there is that reset, that reset that Mikel said that we needed after the last game in the sense that the good vibes are back, the goals are back, the football looked good, and we sit once again atop the Premier League. So all is good in Arsenal world. And here to discuss that with me is a man who I think it is safe to say slightly overestimated the capabilities of Nottingham Forest coming to the Emirates. His name is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at StubbardHelloTim. Hello there. told you it'd be easy. I don't know what you were worried about. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. You you nailed that one. I think, how about we just politely say that you 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 invoked the reverse jinx and we thank you for it. How about that, Tim? That one? Yeah, yeah. I'll, that's an assist I'll take all day long. Perfect. And here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hey, hello, hello. I must say, I saw you were never worried. I know that much. Yeah, I did agree with yeah. Tim on the, how tough it was going to be. So um, I don't take all of what Tim's getting, but I'll take a little bit. <laughs> Well, to be fair, agreeing with Tim usually takes you to good places, but I think we can all be happy in the instance where it didn't work out quite that way. And last, but certainly least is, I mean, not least is what I meant, of course, is Paul. You can find him on Twitter, pause my pants. Hello, pause. You, yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> Woohoo, indeed. Uh, all good. Everybody's here. I'm really excited about it. You got to have everybody here on a day when we're talking about Arsenal 5, Nottingham Forest nil, and it is a reset. 
spelled R-E-I-S-S-E-T, Reset, right? Because oh, uh, this good. was a day. Thank you. Thank very you very much. I, th- I spent all of a minute and a half thinking of that uh, <laughs> while I was brushing my teeth this morning. But yeah, I think it is, it's such an interesting thing that football can do at times because I would venture to guess that at 1-0 up and looking dominant but not of scoring the goals we needed and Sack is going off and Reese Nelson's coming on that a lot of people might have gone to a, a, a darker place in their thoughts about how that was going to shift the game. And football can sometimes deliver you unexpected joy. And it certainly did that against Forrest. And we'll definitely come on to the Reese Nelson of it. But Clive, I want to start with the lineup because it is the most natural place to start. And I just think we at least quickly, not in an in-depth way, but should touch on what is becoming a fairly interesting dynamic with Kieran Tierney? Because once again, it is it is uh, Tomiyasu who starts. He was actually playing early on, very, very tucked in, right there next to Thomas Party. Tomiyasu gets to start again at left back, despite performances that some might have said were a bit uneven leading into this. And I think people felt that Tierney had been playing well in, in the opportunities he'd been giving. And even more interestingly, actually, it's Cedric who comes on uh, to replace Tomiyasu before Tierney makes his appearance. So I'm curious your thoughts on Tomiyasu apparently now being the backup left back to Zinchenko and Tierney sort of fitting into a a third choice left back role. It it obviously isn't costing us at the moment. It's a beautiful win, but it's just something to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, so it's about roles and, and responsibilities, right? So I remember sitting in Block 54, club-level, pre-season game, Sevilla, speaking to two guys who were telling me how Ben White wasn't a right-back. And I kept trying to say to him, mm. he's not playing right-back. That's not his role. His role is a front-foot defender to top defensive transitions. And he argued with me. He had a laugh. because I'm going to come back and find you in a couple of months. And I went back to look for him last week, actually, at the uh, PSV game. <laughs> He wasn't sitting there, but I'm going to find him because, um, Mm. you know, I think the way Ben Wright (laughs) plays that role is really smart. He's very front-footed, and he was last year when he played central defence. He's very sharp on the front foot. He's a transition defender that can get round the outside. That role of the Mm. fullback is really to stop defensive transitions. So if I say that to you, this is why my little hunt for Tommy Yasser left back was always one I had pre-season because if you can think of a better defender to stop in defensive transitions, recycling the ball than Tommy Yasu, then for me, he's perfect for it. Now, the way we're brought up, left backs are mm-hmm. on the touchline, up and down, crosses, get back in, uh, left-footed bellerins, you know what I mean? Tierney, what he was doing a couple of years ago. The role in this team is to stop defensive transitions and restart attacks. And if you want to if you want to see an example of that, look at the first goal. Defensive transition stopped by mm. Tom Yasu. Waves of attack created, flipped out to the right-hand side, flipped into the middle, goal. With two, three seconds. And that's mm-hmm. the way we're playing. So we have to wipe our brains of what we've always thought a left-back was or right-back was I look at the attributes, which is front-footed, sharp defending, great in one-on-one tackles, good, sharp distribution. If you can get down the sideline, great, but that's not your primary role. Hello, there's a great article, I think it was um, 
Michael Cox spoke about Ben White being the sixth attacker in one of the games we had to get back from. Tim, you might remember it in the Athletic. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. article. And, but Spurs. we don't want that. Thank you, mate. We don't want that too much, although I love it that day. Um, we don't want that too much. We want five plus five, five in, five up. And that's why Shaka's running at centre forward. That's why we got people doing what they like, because we got five back doing absolutely what we need to do to create the platform. So Tierney is a little bit active for that. Do you know what I mean? He's a, he's, he's a natural exterior mm-hmm. player. That's purely me looking at it tactically. And people try to dismiss Tom Yassi as just a, the right footer for Salah. I did agree with that. For me, it was base, but base of the team versus attack of the team. Five plus five, simple as that. And But there is another argument. I'll just caveat that, Elliot, is are we just resting Tierney to make sure he doesn't break down? I don't know. You know, We'll find out after January. But tactically, that's where I am with it. And I and I've, I felt it from the start of the season. And it's, it's exactly as I thought it would end up happening, really, to be honest. Yeah, I I think ultimately I can see why Tomiyasu has the role he has, and, and I don't think that it's a mistake. I do think longer term, and by longer term I probably mean you know next summer, there's going to be an issue here where it comes to a head because whatever we think of the choice from a footballing standpoint, I don't think we can anticipate Kieran Tierney saying, hey, I'll be back up to Zinchenko and Tomiyasu at left back. So I, I think ultimately that will come to a head makes it sound like it's a drama. I don't think Tierney's the kind of person to create a drama and he will certainly have his opportunities. But if that's the direction we're heading, then I think there will probably be some turnover at that position. And and that's probably all we need to spend on that, frankly, because it's not a major talking point at the moment. It's probably a bigger talking point a few, a few months from now if it stays this way. So, Can I just yeah, add please. one sentence on it, though? Because uh, I think Clive's summed it up well there. I, I did see someone, uh, forgive me, I can't remember who, someone tweeted about how maybe Tierney and Martinelli don't have a brilliant relationship on that left-hand side, or at least aren't mm-hmm. suited. And I think there's maybe something about the pairings. I reckon if Smith-Rowe's playing on that left-hand side, kind of coming in and looking to combine, I reckon Smith-Rowe on the left with Tierney overlapping him probably makes more sense. Whereas you want Martinelli kind of going at defenders and there's probably less kind of need or desire for an overlapping fullback uh, behind Martinelli. Yeah, true. Good and point, to be yeah. fair, Tim, it's it's Martinelli who gets the scoring open in this game. And the first goal is such an important goal, right? Because maybe we haven't been coming off our best performances. We've had some periods where we, we've been playing really well, but not getting the goals as we did. I think in patches against PSV, but certainly against Southampton, and Martinelli does get the opening goal, and it comes from the two players who I think really stood out in the maybe opening 15, 20 minutes, and that's Saka and Martinelli. Martinelli plays a beautiful whip ball out to Saka on the wing, continues his run, Saka with the beautiful in-swinging cross to Martinelli, and that's a a striker's header. I mean, that's really as good as it gets. Just minutes later, um, Martinelli really could have had a second when it was cleared off the line, to be fair. I don't think he struck it as cleanly as he would have liked, but just in terms of that opening period, we really did come out of the gates with that intention to to blow them away. And I thought the Martinelli goal was what we needed just to sort of lift us and 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 get us moving forward. Do you think it's right to say that Martinelli and Sacco were really the two that stood out in that period, in that opening period? Yeah, definitely. And and I keep seeing people say, and I understand why I keep people keep seeing people say, like, why is no one picking up Xhaka? Why is no one picking up his runs? 
Well, that's why. <laughs> because <laughs> like Saka and Martinelli and Jesus are there like absolutely everywhere. But but yes, absolutely. It's clear that Arsenal try to kind of overload in those spaces. They try to switch play quite a lot um, into those spaces as well. Um, and I think that's perhaps something that else that Tommy Asu maybe gives you at left back, even though I'm, I'm, I'm still not 100% sold on it, I have to say. But Nearly everyone in this team inverts other than Ben White. No one's really on their natural side. And there mm-hmm. has to be a kind of um, a bit of a reason for that. And and even Ben White, yeah, he, he overlaps more now that Tommy Asu is at left back. But yeah, absolutely those two players. And, and look, the only way you really need to make the point is that every time Arsenal have taken the lead this season, they've won. They've conceded first twice and they lost both times. It's It's really as simple as that. You know, whatever about, and I know James uh, McNicholas wrote a really good piece about this in The Athletic last week, kind of saying, you know, it might be fatigue that um, caused us to worry over the last kind of couple of weeks. But actually, he he was positing, not really coming to a conclusion, I don't think, but positing, is it game state? Is it more about being 1-0 up that does something to us? Um, and I think you maybe did see that a bit in this game until the second half where we went 1-0 up, we fly out the traps and obviously you can't keep that up. And then it, it kind of does go a little bit stale. But I do think the fact that Saka's kicked out of the game is is kind of responsible for that as well because he's such a release valve for us on that right-hand side. It's just like opponents, there's so much, like he's played what, like 50 odd Premier League games in a row now. People Mm. know how we use Saka. They know what's going to happen. They know we're going to get the ball out to him. They know he's going to kind of face inside, get the ball on his left foot and he's going to go at you and he can go inside or outside. They, They know all of that, but it's so hard to stop. And it always takes, you saw Spurs Spurs always, always, always had two players on Saka every single time. Mm. And he's just like, he's a release valve for the whole team because while they're doing that, that means someone's free, basically. And that's what you see here as well. Martinelli gets in free. We've seen Xhaka do it dozens of times already this season. Like He just, even with all of those other attackers that teams must be scared of, they always detail two people. Um, on Saka and look Forrest's uh, left back Henan Lodgy um, not a joker um, was in the Brazil squad until pretty recently um, and Saka just had him on toast and look essentially they had to kick Saka out of the game but also that that ball to Martinelli from Ramsdale I think that's such a key for Arsenal as well just mm. having those those like cross field but like we play a lot of long passes under Arteta, and I, I think it's yeah. clear how important that is to him. That's why David Luiz always played. That's one of the reasons he bought Ben White. That's one of the reasons he bought Ram, Ramsdale. He clearly wants that quick switch, and Saka and Martinelli just just make it possible every time. And when you've got two of them, like what do you do as the opposition? You you put two people on one, someone else is free, and we've seen that time and time again this season, and we saw it here. Yeah, well said, Tim, and. The interesting thing is that, you know, we we might have been heading towards one of these sort of Southampton-esque games it, based on dominating but only getting one goal from our period of dominance. It's just in this game, we then had a second period of dominance where we scored four. Um, there was still that little bit of frustration, I thought, at times, Paul, in the first half of not quite making the most of every attacking moment. And it's funny because the first half, I thought we played in patches. 
And I thought in our patches where we played really well and cut them apart, we were brilliant and incisive. There were also moments where the, the game slowed down. And it was a couple extra touches and, you know, some soft passes and, and maybe a little bit slow tempo. And then we would turn it on and we'd cut them open. I mean, I feel for Gabriel Jesus because I think he was left on in this game to say, you know, go get your goal, go get your goal. And it just wasn't happening for him. He does have a couple assists in this game, I think. But he he just couldn't find his, his shooting boots. There was the one early on, actually, that he curls just past the far post. And I think back to early in the season when Shaka lays it off to him in the left channel and he chips the keeper, you know, and the kind of confidence he was showing and, and finishing that he had going at that moment. And he definitely could use a goal. It's funny, it wouldn't even surprise me if he starts against Zurich and plays 50 minutes or something to try to get him that goal ahead of Chelsea, where I am convinced he's going to have a hat trick, by the way. But I'm curious how you think about Jesus at the moment, Paul, because he is such an important player for us, even without his goals. The work rate, the duels having a focal point up front, you know, back to goal, collecting the ball. He had seven shots in this game. That's what you want your striker doing, right? All the stuff he already does, plus his seven shots, plus his couple of assists, by the way, which count, that that matters. Um, but I'm sure he will be feeling frustrated without the goals. And, and I'm, I'm wondering where you are thinking about, how you're thinking about Jesus right now in terms of not his importance of contribution, but the need for him to get a goal at this point for his own confidence. Um, yeah, on a personal level, look, I'm sure uh, the World Cup looms large, not just getting into the squad, but being considered a starter and a factor for them. Um, and like I feel for him on that side of things from our standpoint, um, I just think he's fantastic even when he's not scoring. Uh, Clive's talked about... Um, our five back, our five up front, the the counter press, the dynamism, the way the first goal comes about, and like all of that energy has just been flipped since Gabriel Jesus uh, joined the team. And Martinelli was always that way inclined, but the two of them spark each other. In fact, they spend most of their time in the same areas of the pitch. That's where Gabriel Jesus tends to swing in. Saka's so quick onto the ball. Odegaard, like, it's the back five uh, with party pushing up in front-footed and the f the front five being so uh, proactive front-footed. I mean, it's kind of a nightmare when they're hitting their, their stride uh, as a defensive unit. I think when we hit it, look, I think uh, fatigue is actually the best explanation of our challenges in recent times in that we still play in bursts. There just aren't quite as many bursts as there were uh, before this month started. You could reliably say we'd have a burst in the first 15, 20 minutes um, and a bit more if we needed. And then we'd have a burst before halftime, a burst after halftime. And those other bursts started to kind of go away bit by bit. The burst against Southampton in the second half was barely a burst. Uh, in Le against Leeds, there was no burst in the second half. We were just like, and I think in this game, what you saw in the first half was we got tired after about 20, 25 minutes. There was a mm. burst in the second half because of the energy of the crowd and they dropped off. And I think you can explain almost everything by the fact that over the space of this month where we played, best was it nine games? Um, mm. Like that's going to have a toll. You, you you almost don't need to look at the games, the performances. You can just 
cover your eyes and say, yeah, towards the end of that run, fatigue was there. The energy of this crowd was was what this team really needed. Um, and, you know, Nottingham Forest sat in. They kept it narrow. Um, we were 1v1 on the wings with Sack and Martinelli, and they had fun against their markers because the strategy here was to only put one out there against them, and Sack and Martinelli killed the guys against them. Um, but outside of that, when you when you weren't getting a, exactly spot on, I mean, Martinelli's run for that cross uh, mm-hmm. gave any defender no chance. It was just lightning quick and onto it. Had he been a bit more of a conventional run into the box, he doesn't get that ball. It was it was kind of a just a moment out of the blue, and these guys were clogging up the middle. And I, th- I think the first half's pretty, first half's pretty understandable. But then the burst at the start of the second half, after that, they come apart. Um, the proactiveness, the front-footedness of the front five is a perfect match with Tommy Asu and Ben White and Party all being so front-footed in front of two front-footed um, centre back Saliba and uh, yeah. uh, you know when it's all clicking, it's 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 perfect that balance between. The guy's pushing up so high and their only shot is getting in behind our defenders because our our front-footed back line is also a very impressive defensive back line. Yeah, yeah, and and I thought Saliba quietly was really, really good in this game. Yeah. It wasn't a, a day for defending, but he's just so smooth on the ball. And the thing that will be overlooked, I think, in his performance and Gabriel's to some extent and Ben White's, who we will come on to, is that you know, we had a lot of corners, we had a lot of deep possession where they just booted it long, and it was 1v1 races at the back. And to have someone like Saliba where the ball's going over the top, it's going to bounce, it, you know, it's a foot race, and the attacking player can't get to him. Can't even get close enough to him to make it, make life difficult. He just strides onto it, and he doesn't stride onto it and bash it back to his keeper either. You know, sometimes he'll turn. I've got time. I'm going to take a big touch and turn and get it going back the other way. It's just so nice to have that at the back because... If you're going to play this way, you are going to occasionally have those 1v1s going the other direction. And Saliba wins them all. And that keeps this a pretty easy day. Um, you know, Scott pointed this out on the instant reaction, but Arsenal had four errors, what the stats qualifies errors all season long. We had three in this game, but you know, we recovered them. And, you know, that that's why this never winds up even feeling remotely nervy. That and the five goals we scored. Clive, during our period of dominance from the start to the 90th minute. Um, There was one player who I thought was consistently pulling the strings and that's Thomas party. Like this, this role that he has right now and the way he's playing it, you've said it and I kind of haven't really thought about it, but I don't think there's anyone in the league playing it the way he is. And there's a pass that he plays. I guess it's, is it for Nelson's first goal that he plays in, to Shaka. That's yeah, it is for Nelson's first goal. He's like in our half, strides out and splits like four defenders into Shaka, making the typical Shaka run, which of course is in behind the last line of defense into the box. Um, but he's just now disguising little uh interior passes to Jesus with his back to goal. He's whipping balls around the corner, he's cleaning things up. There's a is it a chance we get or a goal we get? I think it might be just a chance where he bodies a Forest player out of out of possession from a, I guess it's a corner, we've lost possession, he bodies him out of possession and immediately slides it in. Maybe it's to Saka and, and we get a chance from that. It's just, he's 
he's covering so much of the pitch, he's playing so many roles, and he's doing it so well that, you know, sometimes we're critical of guys like Samby, for example, say, oh, he can't do the party role. Clive, I don't know who can, other than this guy right now. Yeah, he's got the experience of knowing when to jump out and clamp down on people and when to drop away, receive, when to drop into the back line. So his position experience is good. And, you know, I, I generally think, I wish we got him five years ago because, um, you know, I generally feel athletically he's not what he looks like. He, he does slow down late. And mm. when we're doing the scouting video of him, I, I gave Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid. If you have his sort of, you know, standout game to most of the British public, you watch the last 20 minutes of that game, he slowed down to a crawl, literally to a crawl. And it's been something that's been yeah. bothering me. So I don't want to. So it's, it's someone I think a lot of as a football player for sure. But it's it's also... Back to the first answer I gave, you know, it's a, it's a collective there, isn't it? It's a ring of three. And when you've got those two really sharp recovering defenders alongside him, that are, that are tall, physical, that can equally cover ground and really can spot danger, he can do, he can do what he likes. He can say, I'm going to go and get that because I see it. I haven't got to worry about spaces around me because I know someone else will see where I've gone. And I can get on the ball. and I get on the ball, these guys are decent enough. They need to be marked. So if, if you don't mark them, then you're in trouble. But I can normally beat one man with my first touch. And then once I've beaten him, then the field opens up to me. Um, what we, Tim said a great line there about inversion. And what inversion does, it allows you to ring the outside of the pitch, completely ring. But when the ball goes out there, it's natural for you to chop back inside. And when you chop back inside, mm. you you unbalance your position. And so the opposition's always unbalanced against us. Martin Lillian Saka are brilliant at it, phone box players. And they can get out of the phone box, get out of the sharks in there. But it's the, it's the inversion to, to the speed of the cutback is the agility, and that all starts on the pace and the quality of the pass coming from party, allows them to then use that to come back inside to then reconnect with the runners and the and the rotation we have on on the interior. It's a wonderful way of playing. I've seen it played against me as a football manager, and it's hard to stop when people are really sharp on the outsides. But it really starts on the guy in the middle that distributes with quality and consistency. And if you don't stop him, you are so vulnerable to whatever the opposition wants to do. And that's how it looks with Arsenal. Mm. And the fans, you know, I think he played a full game yesterday, didn't he? He played a full game, full 90, I think he did, Mm -hmm. which tells me he's Mm going to have his legs up on Thursday to keep him fresh for next Sunday. If he plays Thursday, I would be concerned because the only thing that, the only thing that worries most Arsenal fans is his health and fitness. And and every time he plays, we just look better. And that's it. You know, we just look better and more secure and, and more assured. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just long may it continue, really, Elliot. And he was by and far, funny, right, for me, man of the match, really, in this game, by far. Yeah, it's funny because he, he actually gave, I think, two really bad passes away that led to counterattacks. I think he had two of the three errors we had in this game. But he's just, you know, he's trying such high degree of difficulty stuff that I, I think in those congested areas, it's it's inevitable that occasionally some of them aren't going to come off. It, then there's the goal, Clive. And like, it's it's a mirror image, not a mirror image. It's a reproduction of the, the goal in the derby. 
And it's funny because when you and I did the scouting video, we saw some long-range strikes from this guy and thought, oh, this this is going to be nice to have a few of these every season. And obviously it became almost a meme how bad he was at shooting. But this seems to be the thing he's got down, right? The arriving onto the ball in stride, steps on it, and just the power Tim's he generates. shifting uncomfortably there. As you talk about this. <laughs> I, I love that Paul is committed to perpetuating the idea that Tim hates any shot that's not from three yards out. Um, by, but also Tim hates Thomas goals. Party. By Thomas, Thomas Partey specifically. Party. I think Tim should have to live in a world where he's, his, his arsenal is six points less than we have because he doesn't get to enjoy the fruits of Thomas Partey's long-range shooting. If you <laughs> don't love honest, him, I, if you don't love him gonna, when he misses, you shouldn't have him when he scores. I thought you were going to say like I should be in some kind of clockwork orange simulation where I'm sat there, I'm forced to watch Thomas Partey <laughs> shooting on a loop <laughs> and missing in my eyelids. <laughs> Um, yeah I mean you know we should have signed Coutinho and then we could just sit and watch 90 minutes of players hoofing shots from 35 yards out in the Rosette Um, but but Clive that that is a a string that we know is in his bow but we haven't seen it maybe as often as we might have thought any frustration that he used one of them up in a (laughs) 5-0 no 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 none none at all and it was very reminiscent of the Spurs goal and um Tim, you, you went yesterday, didn't you? You went to the game. And um, I was thinking, <laughs> I must admit, you did pass through my mind. <laughs> Has that rifled into Tom corner again? <laughs> Very identical See? to the first goal. And um, But hey, look, it, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a love of football, isn't it? You, you, you never can read it properly. You, you just can't. And when you read it, it evolves and changes away from you and something else happens that you haven't, that you haven't seen. It is nice to see that come and happen twice and... It's the old Tony Cruz, isn't it? Out to in shot, you know, and um, yeah, it looks very nice. And um, yeah, not much more I can say there. Earlier. It's just um, a top player providing no, a top it, performance it, it, just when the team needed it, and that's the most important thing. Yep, and and of course, by scoring that, he also makes Reese's uh, stat sheet look a little more filled up because that's a Reese Nelson assist, technically. So, well, before we get to Reese Nelson, Tim, I guess there's the fact that Bukayo Saka gets kicked, gets hurt, and has to come off. He tried to stay on for a while. Now, I don't know of any news we've gotten other than Mikel's early report, which is that the suggestion is we dodged a bullet, that it's not serious. Um, I don't know if not serious means he's back for Chelsea, but it, that certainly seems to be the implication. Um, I thought that Nottingham Forest came into this game basically looking at what Southampton did to us and said, oh, you just got to be really physical and aggressive with Arsenal. And like... They clearly wanted to try to wind us up. There was an early moment where, like, Shaq was fouled, and then we got up. They, like, pushed him again and trying to get in our head a little bit. There was a lot of kicking. I think it is definitely the case that the let them play or whatever, let it flow initiative is causing some confusion or some challenges because I don't think let it flow is meant to just mean, oh, these plucky little teams can kick the crap out of the teams they face and try to disrupt their flow. Like, it's the opposite of let it flow in a way, right? It's like, we can kick players and stop football from happening, but not be given cards and fouls. Now, to be fair, I think there's a lot of outrage about Saka going off because, like, see what happens? He's not protected. He was kicked from pillar to post, and then he goes off injured. To be fair, the kick that injures him would have been called a foul. They played advantage, and I think properly played advantage. So... I don't necessarily have a problem with that moment, but I'm curious 
how you're feeling about what does seem to be a bit of a trend that let it flow just means let him kick you. And Saka, who I think, is he now, is, has he passed? Jesus is the most fouled in, in the league. I mean, he, he's up there as one of the most fouled, and, and we nearly lost him, but thankfully, it seems like maybe we've dodged a bullet in terms of, of a worse injury. Yeah, I mean, if, even if he hasn't had the most, isn't the most fouled. I mean, a lot of the fouls on Jesus are grappling shirts, pulling him back, things like that. Like the fouls that are on Saka are usually kicks. So the thing, I'm, I'm glad you asked me about this. I tweeted about it at the time when I was I was pretty angry um, about it, and I ended up deleting the tweet. I, I tweeted basically, Jack Wilshere's 30. He's retired. He's coaching our under 18s, mm-hmm. and there's a fucking reason for that. Yep. Um, and and you just see it repeating. And and the reason I deleted the tweet is not because I don't stand by it. It's just because my mentions were filling up with the kind of pricks that were telling me not to whinge 15 years ago when yeah, I was yeah. routinely watching Arsenal players leave football grounds in ambulances with oxygen masks on. Mm-hmm. And so you can, I think you can forgive Arsenal fans for having a bit of PTSD from that time. Now, what I'll say is, like, obviously with Forrest, like, None of the fouls or the kicks were massively egregious. Like, I don't think anyone should have been sent off. There was obviously like a rotational element to it, but it's the confluence. And I think that's why he goes off. It's it's not that one kick. There's like three of them and it happens every week. And like most of the time, they're relatively low level, but there just seems to be this sliding scale with Saka where if he's fouled a little bit, the refs seem to think he's diving if he gets fouled and it's like it should be a yellow card, it's just given as a foul and red card challenges get like yellow card. Like I don't understand. I haven't, I don't quite understand what it is um, at the moment, but I, I think first of all, to your point, Elliot, the let it flow thing, generally speaking on paper, I would support that. I would support that kind of a let it flow uh, directive. That's not mm-hmm. what's happening though. I don't know whether the directive is, yeah, just let people kick people a bit, or whether, the, as I suspect, the directive is just being misinterpreted by a lot of referees who, frankly, don't really understand the subtleties of game management, who don't understand what rotational fouling is, don't understand mm. how to quickly say, I know what's going on here, I'm going to book you, because I know you and your mates have all been kicking him, you're going to mm-hmm. get the booking though, and that's like really that's a booking for the conflict. Like yeah, it's a message just, to the group. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's just like there's none of that. Like I just think the level of game management. I I rarely stress about like properly like borderline controversial decisions, penalties, offsides, because all of that stuff is like really important and like a goal might be scored or is scored. So I understand the psychology behind that. I understand the pressure behind that. But what I'm really just fucked off with is how poorly games are managed. Like how so many referees just don't seem to understand this stuff. And it's really irritating. And it's just, I've seen it all before. We've all seen it all before. We've all seen where this goes. We all know what happens. We complain about it and everyone goes, Oh, shut up. And like those fucking idiots in my mentions who like, you know, those, those idiots that like see something one person says and say, like, I had loads of people like, this is why Arsenal fans are the worst. And it's just like, I'm one person. I don't speak for all of those people. (laughs) There's other reasons we're the worst. (laughs) Just like disagree with me. Like you don't have to, and like, I just get sick of people like that. I haven't got any time for them. And look, 
the Premier League is so like I get it right like it's entertaining because of the intensity and things like that and absolutely want to keep that and absolutely that is a difficult balance to strike between mm-hmm. having like the intensity and the physicality and it going over the line I think we're a long long way short of being even near that borderline and I think there has to be a decision in the Premier League about who and what we're trying to protect here because what I see is that we're fetish fetishizing like Lee Catamoles um, I know yeah. I know he's long since gone. We, we want to protect that player. That's the player we want to protect. We want to protect Scott McTominay at the expense of players like Bukayo Saka. And that's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. Look, yep. really, you shouldn't try to protect people. Really, you should just let the game go as it is. But there is a decision that those are the players we are trying to protect and it's wrong. And look, the career of a young man could well be in the balance, and I know that sounds um, that sounds hyperbolic, but we've seen it before, haven't we? Yeah, and oh, by the way, in the same game later on, there's an orange card challenge on Shaka, where again, excessive mm. force, flying in, studs showing, like this. This is the kind of thing that's going to happen because the line gets moved in terms of what you can do. And I hate to be this kind of fan. I hate to be someone, but I got to just say it, like. Then you turn around and you lose Martinelli's opening goal at Old Trafford because VAR pulls it back for something that wasn't being called a foul in any of these games. If that's a foul, can we have the calls back against Southampton? Can we have the calls back? In the, you know what I mean? Like So it really does feel like they're trying to have it both ways. We're going to let it flow. But, oh, by the way, if you score a goal from letting it flow, we're going to let VAR pull it back. Well, then what the hell is the point? You're just injuring players. Clive, you have a final thought on that? Yeah, I just want to talk about the protection of the Scott McTominays, etc., because that's a really interesting point. And the reason why I think that comes back to how we all watch football. We watch football with old bloke Scott McTominays in the studio on the radio stations, the Soonesses, the Danny Millses, these guys that played like that, that then sort of create a narrative around the game that it's okay. It's okay to just go around kicking people. If you get there late, it's okay. So we end up protecting that, protecting what they feel is the core of the English game. And the core of the English game is changing from when they played. When the only foreign players in the Liverpool team at that time came from Scotland. That was as far away as it happened. Do you see what I mean? And so we end up with this narrative played out, played out, played out, played out. And referees listen to this as well, by the way. Played out, played out. We've got to protect the game. We've got to protect the game. We've got to keep it flowing. And and the, the victims of that are people like Saka, you know. And and I and Arsenal fans look at this. And let's be honest, right? We're tribal as, as it comes. And we look at this. And we look at the other England players that seem to get protected. And our England player doesn't get protected. And we look at all the things. We, we're not. It's not reasonable. We're biased. Right? It's not reasonable. We're biased. But there's something in this, right? There doesn't seem to be a level of um, fairness around what the game is. And for me, it's very, very easy to go run around kicking people. It's a lot harder to create and have the creative skills that Saka has. And that's the things we should be protecting. Yeah, agreed. And look, in a game where we won 5-0, I don't want to go over the top on the referees, but obviously we lost Saka. And it, it is, we do want to see that protection. As I said, the kick that does it, I think would have been pulled back for a foul, to be fair. Not that that makes it okay. Paul, like 20-second final thought on this? Yeah. Look, I'm de- there are a number of reasons I'm delighted Stephen Gerrard 
uh, got the sack. But what he said about Saka in that game, the mm. the license he gave English football as one of the legends of football, awesome. who, awesome. having pointed out that he'd had 16 operations and had screws in his hip, um, I hope he had to walk home with those screws in his hip from London. He didn't, unfortunately. They let him on the bus. Um, I <laughs> guess he, he stewed in his own juices there too. But I thought that was disgraceful to give uh, the license, the the blessing to just kick this young guy, the future of the English yeah. football team. Um, I thought that was criminal. And the fact that there wasn't more of an uproar about Steven Gerrard, that it was more like, well, let's talk about what he's suggesting here, not let's talk about how somebody like that could talk about one of the most promising young players for any national team. I thought that was disgraceful, and uh, karma's a bitch. Yeah, yep, well said. So the interesting thing, of course, from this, Clive, is that when when Saka goes off, there's a decision to be made. And I'm thinking maybe it's going to be Vieira, or surely Eddie Nketiah. These are the roles he's been, you know, first guy off the bench. That's what we kept him around for. It wasn't either of those players. It was Reese Nelson. And... I don't know why Mikel picked him. I don't know if he had had a really good, you know, a really good couple of weeks in training. I don't know if he'd been showing him that he he was getting it or whatever the case may be. But this is the kind of thing that I think makes Mikel a bit of a special manager as well. Because Reese didn't just go into the phantom zone where he can't be picked. Reese didn't just fall out of being part of the group. This is a Premier League game. It's only 1-0. It's following the pattern of the Southampton game. In a way, we've been dominant, but we didn't get the second goal. We need to put this away. This game has to be won and won handsomely. And he doesn't call on his 30 million pound Vieira, and he doesn't call on his 100,000 pound a week in Kedia. He calls on this guy who, for injury, for squad management reasons, for all kinds of reasons, just has seen his window at Arsenal sort of pass him by, and he calls on him, and he delivers... In that moment, I think it's a beautiful moment for Reese Nelson, but I'm curious of your thoughts on him getting the call here over the other options and, and sort of the, the ramifications of that. Yeah, I thought that he may go um, Vieira because um, we just saw it last week. But it didn't massively work, did it? You know, mm-hmm. um, it didn't work when he played it, although he can play it quite well. He's quite a bright player. And maybe Arteta gave us an insight into his selection strategy when he played Eddie on the left the other week. And people asked him in the press conference, why was it Eddie? And he said, only making one change. Is that right? Something like that? Only making one change? Yep. So he's looking at this saying, oh, I want to make one change, but I want to keep my dynamics going. I want to keep my speed going. And when Reese Nelson got, came on, I'm thinking, okay, nice player you are. You've never really transferred your ability into the first team for quite a while now. The last time I saw him play really well in the first team, apart from lower-level games, was as a wing back in, I think, one of our Emery's or Arteta's, I'm sorry, um, Wenger's late reign as a right wing back. And I thought, could that be his position? You know, it seemed to simplify the game for him. And so I was worried. So I'm sitting there with Southampton fresh in my mind, not sure if Reeves Nelson's going to deliver because I always feel he gets nervous on the big stage. Talent has always been there, but his ability to apply on the big stage against adults, I've, you know, it's been a question. And, um, and, and he turned it on. And um, if ever you want to realise what confidence does for a football player, this is it. You know, look no further than this. Suddenly, that stuttering run, when he seems to look faster than he actually is, suddenly he was fast as he actually is. 
because everything seemed to flow again. Mm-hmm. He just seemed to move quickly, making quicker decisions, being you know being in the same brain as the other players. And I'm like, and it's just it's amazing confidence and feeling valued what it does. And this is where the manager has done this twice to to me and us really. When I've you know he did it with Eddie end of last season, he kept speaking him up, speaking him up, speaking him up. If any, if he had a regret, maybe he didn't put him in sooner. And all of us were thinking, well, well, I certainly was, wasn't sure. Reese Nelson, I have seen have amazing games at youth level, and I'm it's so the talent's not been an issue for me. I mean, and I'm talking amazing games. You know, I'm not talking having a good game. I'm talking amazing games where he is like a superstar. He was the. Br- I mean, wasn't he like the brightest prospect from this? Group, Clive. Like, I mean, more oh, than Saka, more than Inkeddy. I mean, at one point in time, well, there's, there's he an was going to Germany, there. and he was outscoring Jaden Sancho. <laughs> yeah, he's a, yeah. He's a, there's an age gap there, but there, he was on the cusp of being like a Jaden Sancho at one point. Mm-hmm. Injury came, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes, sometimes it the golden path players. It's, it's something I've been thinking about just today, actually. The golden path players. When you have the golden path, you go through under twelves, under thirteens, under fourteens, and you're top of the top of the charts, top of the charts. Sometimes it's difficult, you know. Sometimes it's really difficult because as soon as you have a bump in the road, you can really struggle because you've never really had it. And I think this is something that Arteta is quite strong on. It's something that I've been looking at a lot more lately myself is how you build character in young people, how you trust their character. So when people are are criticising, for example, a a Matt Turner, my feeling was, mate, if you can be not playing football at 15 and then you'll end up at Arsenal at 27, 28, you've got something. You've come through a rough pathway. Look at Gabriel Jesus' rough pathway as as a young player, right? This is You look at Ben White's pathway. He played in all all four divisions, you build character. You look at Aaron Ramsdale's pathway. It's not smooth. Relegations down the leagues. And that's where you build your character. And Reese Nils had to build his character from being the golden boy and and being in a and being in a jacket, being in a coat, street clothes, most weekends when you're in the Arsenal first team and all the other youth products are going beyond you. That's that's hard to take. That is hard to take to still yeah. stay in there, still want to do it. Big respect to him. Whether he makes it or not, to have that and to get his golden moment, that's probably why everyone's so happy for him. You know, because they've seen the travails, the ups and downs, when you're the one not in the squad. You know, it's hard, man. And I think uh, hopefully everybody's happy for him today. We don't know what the future holds. We all want new signings, right? So we don't know what the future holds. But I'm yeah. pleased he had his moment in the sun, Elliot. Yeah, and I think uh, Mikel spoke to that, by the way. He says, uh, you can sense how happy everyone was for him. Players, the staff, he's a great kid. He's really fighting to get his place back. His journey has put him in the right place now to fulfill his potential, and today he's made a huge step on that. And I, I do think, Paul, that the season is a is a slog. The season is brutal. It's unrelenting. You're playing every three days. This is the most congested period. We went through a little wobble against Southampton, a little wobble against PSV, and then you get this beautiful day in the sun in front of the Arsenal fans, and and everybody's lifted, and this kid scores, and you see what it means to the players, how much they enjoyed it, and I do think that this moment, this little blip in a season, maybe Nelson goes on to be an important contributor, maybe he doesn't play more than 10 more Premier League minutes, who knows, But I think these moments matter. It lifts the staff. It lifts the players. So in terms of of Nelson coming on and and having this performance, I don't want to 
dismiss it as like a cute, you know, side story. He scores two important goals to put this game to bed and make this the fun romp that it was. But also, don't you think that it can transmit just that little bit of joy and lightness through the squad, the way they'll be training this week, patting him on the back, you know, the the mood around the group from what happened for him. I, I think it's such an important thing to have happen. We talked about needing a reset, right? I mean, we, we didn't. Mikel said we need a reset. And it's not just the five goals and the win. It's something happening in the season that will be one of the stories of the season. I do have to say, by the way, I came up with this idea of reset. R-E-I-S-S-E-T, reset. But also uh, in the comments to our instant reaction, Gabriel Collins said putting the Reese in reset. Um, And so I do want to credit Gabriel Collins for um, potentially having subconsciously when that notification came through, put that in my head. So I don't want to steal Gabriel's great thinking there. But how do you feel about it from that perspective? You're going to have to share the the ample glory that comes from that brilliant pun and witticism. I mean, I, I want to be clear. Like, I'm not sharing it. It's entirely mine uh, and, and nobody else's and only mine because that's just how it works. No, I, I think like th- this isn't just two goals. This is a mood lifter, a moment of the season that we remember. And these little moments, these little light lifting moments in the period of maybe the first tiny little wobble, I think can really matter to, to a group yeah. that has to go through this slog of a season together. Yeah. Look, when Nelson came on, I'm like, Come on, Reese. We know you're talented, but be aggressive. Go at him. Take risks. Because I think he's been very, very safe when he's been on the pitch. And you look at Martinelli and Saka, and the one thing they do is they take that risk. Uh, it'll work all, work one time. It'll embarrass them the next time, but they don't care. They just keep going, banging, attacking. And mm-hmm. like after the goal and after the second goal, it gets more and more aggressive. Uh, and uh, he's working both ways. He's covering the fullbacks. He's getting stuck in. Um, he's protecting his legacy of the game. He scored two goals. He doesn't want that kind of going belly up to like, oh, it was a, it was a four-two or something like that. And like, this is his game, and he's working his ass off. I saw a much more aggressive Reese Nelson in this game. I kind of think we talked about, you know, had this been Southampton. I, I'm not sure Arteta makes the same call if it's an away game. Like the one thing he mm. knows he has going for Reese Nelson in this game as he's looking at Eddie and he's looking at Vieira and he's looking at Nelson is, well, he'll have the crowd behind him. Um, and maybe that, that wind in his sails is why we'll see the better Nelson. And he's talked effusively about Nelson and what he does in training and how what a great young guy he is and that he has the talent. And I think... Like the, in some ways, the biggest story is what happens when you get back to the Emirates after a long run. You're on, you're, you have a slog. You've been on the road for a couple of games. You're looking tired. You're looking jaded. Well, guess what? Uh, you know the Leeds game was away. The Southampton game was away. This is Fortress Emirates. The energy we have at home. Um, Scott and I in our uh, stats guy in a civilian podcast on the Patreon. Uh, talked through this last week. If you take the top 10 teams um, playing at home, they win six to one versus losses at home. It's mm-hmm. a lot closer to even split away from home. The, the top 10 mm-hmm. teams, it's it kind of equal wins and losses on the road and a little bit behind on draws. But in terms of 
at home. Well, guess what? We're six for six at home. And really, in many ways, it none of those games ever looked in doubt. Once we get home at, to our home stadium now, we are dominant. Other teams are scared. We need to do more of that on the road, but we've been pretty good. I mean, it's four four wins, a draw and a loss on the road. That's, that's bloody brilliant. Um, but at home, we're a whole other animal now. It wasn't, obviously, it wasn't always the case. Um, but they're so behind these young players. I don't think Nelson playing in this game at home is a flip of, uh, of the coin. I think that's why, that's what tilted the balance for Arteta. That's why yep. we saw a team that played for 90 minutes, that pl- scored not just goals, but great goals, that played with confidence. They know they're safe when they get to the Emirates. They know they're going to have a good day. And I, I think Nottingham Forest's whole thing was, let's try and frustrate these guys for as long as possible so they get tetchy. They weren't even close. I mean, we just blew yeah. them away by the se- start of the second half. There's so much yeah. energy. And... and- I mean, now, I I think it's entirely fair to suggest that Nelson's going to start on the right against Zurich. Yeah. Especially if Vieira starts for Odegaard. I mean, and why wouldn't you start him? Let him go from strength to strength. It's at home. It's against a weak side. He's got all the confidence in the world and showed he can get important goals. So, Tim, just quickly, um, as a view from the ground, I'm curious what the reaction was to Nelson being picked. Because, you know, it, at 1-0... Having dominated but not put the game away, there's always you know that that worry. Oh, here we go, same as Southampton. You know we're not getting the goals. Jesus has missed some chances. Get Eddie on, get Vieira on, right? But it's Nelson. I'm not sure there were a lot of people in that moment thinking, oh, this is the guy that's going to turn the game. And I'm sure there was a lot of humble pie being eaten, happily eaten, gobbled down. But just as a quick view from the ground, how? sort of nervous would you say people were about that selection that what was the sort of reaction to that selection in the ground but then also what how much did it lift the crowd when he becomes the hero because it it transmitted as such a warm moment at least uh through the tv screen for me yeah definitely you had that kind of that little collective murmur <laughs> maybe but i i mean i think in that moment people were a bit more worried about saka uh there was that the second time he went down yeah. there was that kind yeah. of oh shit that kind of low level <laughs> oh shit uh, oh, oh, it's Reese. Reese. Well, okay, okay. Um, I, I, I wonder if there's something a little bit about you know we talked after the PSV game about some of those players who didn't take their chance in the PSV game, and I wonder if also there might be a small element, <clears throat> only a small element, to which Reese was not guilty by association because he didn't play, and maybe guys like Vieira and Inquetia, who we might have expected to come on, did and didn't impress, and maybe there was a kind of okay. You guys didn't bring it on Thursday, so I'm going to go for someone else. Um, and and like you say, Elliot, he is now completely, particularly like with Saka going off. I mean, he can't be involved in any way on Thursday night, like not even no, on the bench, no. like no. not even sure I'd have him in the ground. Um, you know, that that might be another Clockwork Orange style thing, only they've got, like, got his eyes hooked shut. And just, <laughs> He's like, not allowed to watch football. Go, be near go football. to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> um, and so and that that's absolutely what he's done. He's basically, he's booked his ticket into the team on Thursday night, which when you're in Reese Nelson's position, like he hasn't really been starting those games. He started one Europa League game on the left, I think. And uh, I know Clive says this a lot. I think when you get moved around, 
when you're the one that gets moved around, that usually means like, yeah, you're the one we don't really care about. We want to keep everyone yeah. else comfortable. Yeah. But he'll get another start. And the right, I think, is absolutely where he wants to be. He'll get another start there on Thursday. And, you know, it's for him, he's jimmying the door open a little bit to say, little look, bit. he's obviously he's not going to start ahead of Saka like ever. But mm-hmm. what he's done there, he's saying, okay, the next time maybe there's half an hour to go. And it's 1-1. Maybe I come into your thinking. Maybe, maybe you know, to Paul's point, maybe when we're away from home, maybe we can try it then. Uh, you know, maybe if we are away at Southampton or Leeds or something, maybe maybe I'm not just jogging up and down the touchline, you know, to keep warm. Maybe, maybe there's a reason for it. That's all you can ever hope for when you're in that kind of position. We talked about this with Marquinhos, with the, uh, the first uh, Europa League group game where he had a really good game against Zurich. Obviously, he hasn't really had, well, he hasn't really built on that slash had the opportunity to build on that. Right. And now Reese is back in front, probably in front of him again. Um, you know, Marquinhos has been ill, I think. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just, it's a foot on the ladder for him. I, I think we can all be realistic and say that this is not like, um, you know, this isn't going to lead to, I don't think like new contracts or, you know, the Renaissance or a Francis Coquelin style, uh, kind of rebirth but but what it means is that maybe his season is not just spent in a tracksuit maybe, maybe maybe he comes on for 20 minutes maybe you know he, he'll get that last Europa League group game and yep. look, if he has a really good game on Thursday and scores a couple again it's another foot on the ladder isn't it and that's that's Absolutely. all you can do in that situation is build and this is you know this is a good start and it, look that's the position we kept ourselves light after the summer Right, I mean, yep. we need him. We, we, we. Right, we need someone not named Martinelli, Jesus, or Saka to be able to play in the front line and be effective. And you know, Vieira might be an option, and Kedi has certainly kept to be an option. But we're light. There's no one who's dominant, dominating that sort of first choice off the bench position, and and he may be the guy to do it. Look, after you and, win five, no, that are coming. Maybe Tim covered this. Uh, got distracted, but like, you got the EFL, you got the Brighton game. You know, the cups are coming. Uh, you mm-hmm. never know. That yep. could be the backbone for him. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So on a day when you win 5-0, that's a day when, you, you know, you want to consume all the content, right? You want you want to watch match of the day when you've won 5-0. But the problem is some of us, based on where we live, can't watch match of the day because it's geo-locked. Aha. But you can use NordVPN to watch match of the day. You can use NordVPN to change your region and watch things that you couldn't ordinarily watch. You want to watch Netflix in another country because they got a show you want to watch. There's a show, um, you know, if you're a parent, you're probably aware of Bluey. Bluey came out in Australia like a year before it came out in America, the new Bluey episodes. But that doesn't matter if you've got NordVPN and it keeps your browsing private. Maybe you're doing something dirty on the internet. Come on, we've all done it. We've all done something we don't want people knowing we did. Like, you know, Spurs took a heavy loss and you decide to go onto some Spurs websites or Spurs Reddit. But you don't want people knowing you were there, right? I mean, it's dirty. It feels a little dirty. You're doing it for a good reason, but you don't want you don't want people to know about it. NordVPN keeps your browsing private. Go to the region you want. It's it's really just the best way. And you can use our link, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision, to receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one month free. So you get a discount on the plan and you get a month free. You get privacy. Your IP address and location aren't getting out, so you don't wind up with all the spam and nonsense. It gives you threat protection, too, by the way. Intrusive website ads and malware, 
That's all protected against. Use Nord to view what you want on the internet, to do it privately and do it safely. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened, like going to Spurs Reddit. Check out our link, <coughs> nordvpn.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Nordvpn.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Game subscription time today! Five! Is that enough of that? Indeed. It is. Nailed it. Hey, you stay out of this. <coughs> Clive. Nelson got the party started, mm. but then it really was a party. And it was a hell of a lot of fun. And Odegaard comes to life and he scores a beautiful goal. And party scores the stunner. Jesus worked hard. <laughs> Poor guy. He was left out there. Mikel was like, you stay on that pitch till you score a goal, young man. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets some minutes against Zurich just to try to get him a goal. But, but again, like, it really was a party atmosphere at that point. It was, it was so much fun. We were playing beautiful football. But as much as we were playing beautiful football, like, firstly, I, I want to make the point. I said this on the instant reaction. Before Nelson scores the second, Gabriel makes the worst pass in the history of Arsenal Football Club. It is, it, it is the worst pass that's ever been made in the history of Arsenal Football Club. And Ben White is in position to block the shot. And that saves this. That saves this from ever getting to 1-1. And even at 1-1, I think it would end at 5-1, fine. But, you know, it bails Gabriel out, a guy who's been great in the last couple of games, but who doesn't need another error on his CV for people to decide to get on his back. So everybody wins there, and it's thanks to White. And I think White deserves some praise. This, you know, all these games, Clive, we talk about Jesus or, or Party or Shaq or Martin like. But every single game, right on the periphery of being the core guy to talk about is Ben White. Having a great game. Having a great game. Having a great game. But maybe not having a game that's so great that it gets the mention it deserves. So I want to make sure we focus on Ben White. Because Ben White is overlapping. Ben White is creating chances. Ben White is blocking shots. Ben White is chasing down his man and, and blocking out the light. He was great in this game. And I don't think we should overlook it. Because right now... I, I think maybe even more than Saliba, he's the player at the back that I think Mikel trusts the most. He's going to pick him any game that there's something important on the line, and he's going to deliver a consistent level of performance. And he, he deserves the praise that we maybe don't always just get the reason to lean into. So why don't we lean into a little Ben White praise? <laughs> yeah, we'll do. I suppose with with the bad pass on Gabriel, obviously it's not the worst pass in Arsenal history because you obviously never saw Gus Caesar play at the back for Arsenal and if you did you it would immediately come to mind a few of his <laughs> passes but um so yeah I on um on Ben White I think um there is a tendency with Arsenal fans and uh, and I'm one of them there's a player that comes into the light on for criticism so Gabriel's maybe just coming out of that he's one mistake for going back into it um We've got you know, the, the, the Tierney, the Tierney, um, Tierney wasn't sure about Tierney end of last year. He's coming. Now we want some people wanting back. So people not sure about Tommy Atsu all of a sudden, waiting for a mistake from him, you know. Um, and, and, and we go through this and and Eddie, Eddie's in my sort of, in my guns, if I'm honest. You know, when he scores a goal, I go quiet real quick, you know. So, um, and this happens, this happens. And Ben White was in that place at the start of the season. People were not having him as a right bank, and for mm -hmm. me, I, I, I've always rated him. I think I've understood him a bit more this year, and I think, I think Arteta understands him a bit more this year. 
And it was quite clear to me in the Liverpool and Spurs games, amongst very good players on the pitch, you know, the, those teams, they're not, they're, not, they're not rubbish, right? They're good sides. And when you go to the top-level games at the Emirates, you, you really see who's top-level. And Ben White has the ability to mm-hmm. stretch his game. When he can stretch it to the opponent, no matter what the opponent has, he can stretch it. If he needs to be offensive, he can be that player. If he needs to be defensive, he can be that player. If he needs to stop transitions, he can do that. He can make blocks in the box. He can head out from the box. But he's a supreme athlete and he's so smooth. Rolls-Royce defender. Has moments, particularly by a touchdown, if he stood still. And I think he need, sometimes lets the situation control him. He needs to be a bit more aggressive. But very small point. You know, and um, yeah, Arsenal fans, they, they, they like him now, but they like him so much. They don't want him to, they, they'll stop being angry about him not going to World Cup. They don't want him to go to World Cup anymore. They want him to sit <laughs> yeah, down. No, thank you. <laughs> and just, uh, yeah, if, if England are that stupid, then let them be that stupid. You know, and Kieran Trippier, you can have that. Well, don't worry about it, mate. It's all yours. You know, and um, because we'll keep Ben White at home so we can get to our ambitions and make sure we don't have a Kieran Tierney moment we had last year that really derailed us, really. We didn't recover from yep. it very well. And the season before, shall I say. So we don't want that again. And that maybe is a testament to how much he's really grown in our minds. And um, for some people, he was always there. For others, he's arriving, and and that's the nature of fandom. Yeah, and and I'm I'm just thrilled for him. I I think there is there has been a situation down the years at Arsenal for a long time now, where we've had a lot of brilliant players, but it was we were like the reverse mullet, like business in the front and party at the back, because it was just Almunia and Ospina. And Mustafi, you know, and and you know, uh, by the way, I not the best reason for this to come to my mind, admittedly, but uh, definitely our best wishes to Pablo Marie. Glad to hear he's out of hospital. His shirt was being held up by the Arsenal players, which is beautiful. I mean, even though he's out on loan, and even though he's a player that for many of us, he, you know, never warmed to him. Just oh, seeing Jesus. the camaraderie in the group and what he means to people, and the the fact that like there is that relationship, even to the players that are away right now. So great to hear that he's doing all right. Terrible to hear that someone, I, I believe, lost their life in that attack. But uh, glad to hear that Pablo is doing well, and, and it was nice to see the, the players representing for him um, on, uh, during the game. So, But yeah, it, it, this situation, Tim, where we've had, you know, we've really had the ability to go play some scintillating football, but it's been undone by just a lack of real quality and professionalism at the back in many ways. And And I mean, you can think of, some of the players that Andre Santos played some important minutes. I mean, I don't have to name them all, but it has been a revolving door of some questionable players at the back. And now you have Ramsdale who looks great, but then there's Tomiyasu and White on the right. There's Saliba and Gabriel, and I guess you would say Tomiyasu, right, as an option there. On the left, ironically, it's Tomiyasu, but it's Zinchenko, Tierney, and Tomiyasu. How nice is it to have a team that's kind of this fun and kind of this attacking and, and kind of this talented up front, but you look at the back and you just see a group, not just four, but a group of serious, talented professionals, not just in defense, but in goal as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, again, after the PSV game, we were kind of talking about, you know, Rob Holding's time. <clears throat> 
seems like his days at Arsenal are probably numbered for mm. for that reason. Same as Cedric, like those players, um, you know, have done a job for a couple of years. But it's kind of well, the, the way I look at Arsenal's defence at the moment. Again, and I know Paul said this a couple of weeks ago. It's basically four centre backs. Um, really. Um, obviously, they're not all playing like centre-backs. It's not like when Tony Pulis put four <laughs> centre-backs in his back line. But what they're just able to do is like have that real pincer kind of and, and just that that quite solid block. And it's not strung across the 18-yard line, a la Tony Pulis. It's strung across the halfway line. And it's just that kind of that barrier. And obviously, there's lots of other things going on with the full-backs inverting etc etc but what it looks like to me is just like quite a solid block to try and get around Mm -hmm. and because obviously the space we leave is kind of in the corners as it were but then when you've got guys like Gabriel and Saliba who can recover into that space Ben White I think recovers into that space really really well because Ramsdale's really aggressive positioning uh, from a defensive standpoint well up the pitch yeah, exactly that. And and it's just, I mean, if, if you're the opposing manager and perhaps you didn't have like the best footballer, like I don't think Man City are going to try and like lob it long into the channels at us. But if you're an opposing manager of pretty much anyone else, you'd just say, well, th- that's the weak spot, right? That's the vulnerability there. And to be fair, Manchester United were able to do it because they've spent hundreds of millions of pounds on attackers who play in those spaces. But generally speaking, that's the weak spot. But it just it doesn't look very weak most of the time because Saliba's just like over there into that right channel and you know you need a taxi to get around him Gabriel does mm. it as well on the left side really really well i think he's really underrated actually at the way he he does that and the way like they shift into a 3 when they build and Gabriel goes like right over to the left and it just you know it's it's just a very I remember reading something about it. Might might have been in uh, inverting the pyramid by Jonathan Wilson. Might have been. I can't remember. But the way like Valery Lobanovsky, one of like um, great Ukrainian coach, um, who's one of those coaches who's just responsible for a tactical innovation in football, describing it like an accordion, right, that goes in and out depending on whether you've got the ball, and like this is like nice and tight. This structure when we've got the ball, it's just like a block. But then when we don't get it, it expands. Like you hit that, you try and hit that space in behind, and they expand outwards, and they're able to recover into those spaces. And yeah, that that that's what makes it so formidable um, at the moment. And you're right. Like it's it's basically it's not in some of the games recent, like Leeds. That was defending. That was penalty box defending mm-hmm. that we were doing. But most of the time, what we're doing is we're just controlling space. And and that's that's what good teams do when they defend. It reminds me a little bit actually of, you know, you look at the Invincibles back four, Lauren, Torre, Campbell, Cole, all guys who can either recover into space or you can leave them one on one. And if again, if it's Sol Campbell, it's like trying to climb over a brick wall. And if it's Colo Torre, all right, I'll let I'll let you I'll let you push and run there, but I'm like you're not beating me in a foot race and you know none, none of them really look like those players specifically but you know we we very deliberately built a defense that can that can recover into space and can handle itself in one-on-one situations and can just help us control space yeah yeah and and like it also helps that you got a guy at the back who's just going to complete 93% of his passes pass you know 70 times a game at 93% because what do you do if you're 
trying to stop Arsenal from progressing the ball. Normally, you know, oh, I'll close down the angles. I'll let the center backs have the ball. They can pass it back and forth between themselves and we'll just block out the options. But nine times out of 10, if you do that, Saliba's going to pick somebody. You know, pick somebody up the pitch, break a line out to the wing. Because I don't see Saliba as always being a safe passer. I think he's our leading passer in most games. But he's also completing 93% of them. Yeah, so it, the, it's yeah. Go the, ahead. the only team this season I think that's like actually stopped us building from the back is Leeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leeds in the second half specifically. That's the only team I've mm-hmm. seen, even in games where we haven't played well. I don't think PSV really did it. I don't think Manchester United did it at all. That wasn't nope. their game plan, to be fair. But we don't look vulnerable to your point to being to being pressed high either. Yeah, Clive. Yeah, so this is interesting tactical stuff here. Yeah, I think Saliba, the reason why he's so good at passing it is the room that he gives himself. And he really drops mm-hmm. away and he, he is like our sweeper. So everywhere everyone else is front footed around him and he is the guy that just has that that thought that foresight to see the ball coming from deep and to get after it. But also he drops off really well and so he creates time for his passing. And the only time he's looked ruffled when people have taken away his time. But we make the pitch so big, it, we find that if you creep onto us, then we switch it out to Martinelli. Do you see what I mean? Bang. You've crept onto yep. us, trying to stop us, but we can still get you. You know? So, um, so yeah, the time he gives himself, the separation, makes his passing numbers look so good. And what we've done this year, we've, away from last year, we had Ben White that was snapping into tackles and Gabriel sweeping. But really now we've got two sweepers, but Sleeper's definitely the last sweeper, if that makes sense. He is the guy that never really jumps in, never goes high. He's always looking for when someone else gets beat on the first challenge, then he comes around and covers. If they go long, he runs after it. But that's his role. And then he drops away to receive the ball, which makes his passing numbers look good. And by the way, he has to be able to pass it as well, by the way, which he can. And so put it to a do to get Oh, yeah, which, which it turns out he's really quite good at. I mean... Just look at his his stats, you know, in league on. Same thing, lots of passes, 93%. The season before that, lots of passes, 91%. It's just who he is. It's it, I think it is his superpower, his pace and his passing and his size and his defending. So really all of that, all the stuff is his superpower. He's lovely. Um look, there was a lovely moment in this game too that we haven't touched on, but I think we should bring it up because it was a, it was a touching moment really. It was the sad Millie Rock that Lingard did as he left the pitch. Just the saddest Millie Rock. Uh, he didn't. He didn't do it. He should have been required to do a sad Millie Rock. But I enjoyed that moment. And I think the crowd uh, enjoyed that moment as well. Paul, this this game also had something about it that I like, just from a character standpoint. Which is, in recent years, I've seen Arsenal teams get two nil leads over bad teams and just kind of take their foot off the gas and have a sort of casual approach to seeing the game out. This team is developing a little of something the, the Invincibles had, which is, oh. Look at this little field mouse that we can absolutely destroy. Like, we're going to go destroy it. We're going to have the time. Like, they wanted to score goals. When it was 3-0, we wanted to score goals. When it was 4-0, when it was 5-0. And whatever the changes, Vieira and Cedric came on. By the way, very interesting that Cedric came on for Tomiyasu ahead of Tierney. Somewhat interesting, although maybe nothing to read in there more than just, hey, I got to keep this guy Cedric happy too because he's part of the team. Shaka and Saliba come off. Tierney and Eddie come on. Nothing changed. We still keep going for it. And we do get... The fifth goal, a lovely, lovely finish from Odegaard. Um, Jesus slides it to him, quick feet in the box, smashes it home. And it, it's it's a beautiful moment for Odegaard, too, because I think he had one of those games that could sort of go under the radar. 
so much of the good stuff we did, he's he's involved in, but he's not making the last pass. Like he does some really good work in the box to get it to Jesus, who gets it to Nelson for Nelson's second goal. He has a lot of involvement in our best moves, but he's not the the last piece of it. And then of course he smashes in a, a stunner to make it five. So from that period where we we're just sort of having fun, do you like seeing? Well, it's so stupid. Of course you like it, but what are your thoughts on this? this sort of ruthlessness we showed that we kept going for it and also kept trying to get Jesus a goal, which didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I thought we should stop trying to score because it was making yep. Gabriel Jesus feel bad. Um, <laughs> look, I, I, I can see your squeamishness with this because I know in, in American sports there's this thing that it's bad form to run up the score against. No, I, I love it. I would. I'm mad we didn't score more. Ten yeah. nil. That's what I want every game. <laughs> yeah, but as far as I know, it's it's not a thing in British sports. Possibly something to do with the empire. I don't know, but <laughs> but they they love to run up the score. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think what you want to do is have teams scared to come to the Emirates, and you want them scared when you come and visit them. And we had that for a while. I think we lost it in the two games against Leeds and Southampton, but we'll get it back again when we get our energy going again. Um, you want teams afraid because nervous teams play nervous and give you that extra half a yard because nobody wants to look stupid and be on the highlights reel. Nobody wants to be on match of the day. Um, we scored not just five goals, five great goals. Absolutely fantastic. Each one's like, oh, that's... That's a goal of the week. Well, there were five of them. Um, and we got stronger as the second half went on. Um, it wasn't really until like the last one, two minutes of extra time that we started knocking it between each other at the back and and kind of took our foot off the gas. Everybody, the energy from the crowd, I think, is another thing we talked about earlier. <clears throat> but people are just having too much fun. They feel there's another goal there. They want their name on it. Why not six? Um, this is what Manchester City does against other clubs. And like in a cup competition, you know, uh, the win is all that matters. In the league, it's a war of attrition across 38 games. And the I think the other big thing about this game was by scoring those goals in the second half and by becoming an enjoyable game for these players, they're just a lot less tired. Um, like it's not actually less energy mentally to kind of sit in and hold on and that kind of thing. So like these guys had fun, they played and if, you know, if it was time for them to get off, we brought on our subs. Like, I think this sets us up well uh, for the Zurich game and for Chelsea. Uh, you know, we talked about Vieira, Playing. I won't be surprised if Odegaard starts against Zurich. I won't be surprised if we go pretty strong and look mm. to get that settled early on to take the nerves out of us with the crowd at home, and then we can make our subs. You know, there's different ways to do these things, but like getting the game sorted, getting the worry out of it. It's not just physical. How uh, how stressed you are, how tired you are mentally, how how much you look forward to the game of the weekend or fear it, you know, after Leeds going into Southampton, after Southampton going into PSV away. Like, that's a whole different energy when you've had two, three wins on the road behind you versus you've had two really tough games on the road. And it feels like all your games are on the road. Well, these games, that game's at home, the next game's at home. 
I think we'll go pretty strong and try and sort it out. But, you know, winning at home easily, banging in those goals gives you an energy. Not only does it not tire you so much, it gives you an energy to take into your last two games. So I, I don't see a reason we won't go pretty strong against Zurich taking that out of it. Uh, great. Yeah. Uh, and like it just reignites that connection with the fans at the Emirates. It's a thing they can bank on, they can rely on, mm. and then check who they're playing that week. Yeah, look, I disagree, but not enough to bother arguing about it. I I, I hope that we go heavily yeah. rotated for Zurich because I just don't think that they're a serious team. But what if we go that... 1-0 down? They can all do it to you. Yeah, why do I, that I get to it. yourself? I, I, then I think we'd win three one. Look, the reason Maybe. I'd say why do it to yourself is because the Zurich game is a banker, and the Chelsea game is the important one. But, but like then that, you're that, thrown on your, you know, your, your oh, oh God, get Jesus on. Oh God, get Odegaard on. And now it's this funky team that like. See, I, I just, still wouldn't. I wouldn't bring them on regardless. I'd mm-hmm. trust the group to I, I, see. I think like Zurich is like you, playing. Did you trust the group against PSV away? I think no. you did. Not, I mean, I I wouldn't have played. Let's put it this way: PSV were battered by us in both games we played them, and Zurich are one tenth as good as PSV, right? So, like, PSV is a real team at the you top. PSV of were re- battered away from home. Yeah, I mean, statistically, wow. anyway, like we we won the XG battle comfortably. No, Jesus. no, they they played an effective counterattacking style that that kind of picked us off. I don't think Zurich 10. has the ability to do that. Yeah, let's let's say this. Whichever Arsenal players take the pitch against Zurich are going to win heavily. So I just hope it's rotated. But look, whatever Arteta does, he does. I'm not going to get too worked up about it. It's probably not the right thing to do following a 5-0 win and us being top of the table. So uh, I'll get worked up about it if Chelsea doesn't go the way I want it to go. Then I can really let the whiskers show. Um, Yeah, look, the the stats in this game were pretty insane just across the board. I mean, this is total domination. Thomas Party completed 103 of 115 passes on his 124 touches. Gabriel Jesus had seven shots, two assists, point, uh, 1.2 expected goals plus expected assists, um, an additional six shot-creating actions, two additional goal-creating actions. Like Martinelli, again, five shot-creating actions, a goal-creating action, a beautiful header, um, only had to play an hour, obviously. The, the sad part is Bukayo Saka was, I think, heading towards having one of his best games of the season. He looked unbelievable. Let's just mm. hope that that form carries over to when we see him against Chelsea. All things being equal, a really nice sort of walk in the park kind of day to take Arsenal back to the top of the table. And I think, look, it's the Sunday. We were the only game going at the time. It's a chance for everyone to say, oh, you know, Arsenal slipped up a bit against PSV, slipped up against Southampton. What do they have? And we went and we destroyed a Forest team that... While I don't think they're very good and didn't offer very much, they are coming off having beaten Liverpool at home. So there is that moment of saying, well, you know, they got their act together a bit. There was some talk ahead of time by some people that this might be a tough game. And, um, you know, so there was there was a lot of attention on it. And I think ultimately, Who the are way those we idiots? Perform, I, it beats, beats me. We certainly wouldn't want to be talking to them three, four times a week about football and especially Arsenal. But like the, the fact of the matter is that we we made this a hell of a lot of fun. And the only, only, only aspect of this game, aside from Saka's injury that you might say is a shame, is Jesus not getting his goal. I am never going to worry, though, about a striker who has seven shots and two assists and is as involved in dangerous attacks as he was. Look, he gets sent in by Odegaard after a a turnover, just hits it a little too close to the keeper. The one that he curls past the post early is just a beautiful 
run, your first touch, back inside, curls it. It's the right idea. Just past the post. There's the late, late, late one. It's a corner kick. It's a header, and it's to the back post, and Jesus doesn't tap it in. It's some good defending. I actually think he pulls out of it a little bit, which I'm happy to see because you're 5-0 up. Don't go smash your ankle into the post to get your meaningless six, you know, the sixth goal of a game and and in the 89th minute or whatever the hell it is and get injured. Um, but he's all over the pitch doing amazing things in this game. I'd be more worried if it was like, he had no shots. He wasn't in the box. He was dropping too deep. He didn't have the burst. He wasn't. His first touch was letting him down. There was none of that. This is just everything but the finish, and I think it'll come against Chelsea in a big, big way. Clive, the other thing from this weekend is the results seem to continue to suggest that, that it's not just that we're good, but there are no great teams. Like, we did a lot of hand-wringing about the performance against Southampton and Leeds. But look at these other teams. United were terrible against West Ham, but got away with it. Uh, Spurs were bad and got lucky. Liverpool, I mean, I don't even know how you describe what's going on with them. Chelsea got destroyed by Brighton. This is not an easy league. And to Tim's defense, every game is hard, and especially away games. So I think this weekend is not just a chance for us to stretch our lead over teams like Chelsea and uh, Liverpool, to the extent that that's even relevant anymore, but to remind ourselves that, hey, yeah, we struggled a bit in a couple of away matches. Well, look at what these other teams are doing, Clive. This is a hard league, and we are making easier work of it than a lot of these other teams that would like to be in the position we are. Yeah, it's a hard league, particularly and even City, in Europe. Yeah, um, it's just Europe, is it? It's managing Europe. You know, so Forest is sitting there, legs up, waiting for us. You know, Leeds are sitting there, legs up, waiting for us. You know, as soon as these teams have cup games, you know, league cup games to come into their weeks, an FA Cup game, that's when you start to separate from them because we're more used to it than they are. They can prepare for us. They can add the energy, etc. So it's a challenge and we're getting away there. It's why the Leeds game was probably, there's two games that really stand out to me this season that I think are really pivotal, maybe three. The Crystal Palace first game, I thought it set the whole narrative for everything. We still had a bright preseason, but we really need to show people it wasn't just preseason. Uh, Liverpool, just by finally beating them, I think that was a major moment for us, just getting over that psychological hump. But also Leeds, I think Leeds is a game that we maybe could have lost based on performance levels. And what, we got people not in form, you know, people a little bit tired, Jesus not scoring, and we're winning. And people, what, you know, people not sure about us at the moment because they don't trust us. They don't trust us. They have a little smile to themselves to see Reese Nelson running on. But that moment is huge, absolutely huge moment for us. That somebody that hadn't scored for eight hundred plus mm. days can come in and and score and take the game away from somebody. What Eddie did at the end of last season is huge, and more of this we have is going to build the trust with people are looking at us from the outside. It's a very, very interesting league with with schedules and World Cup opportunity to replenish the squad. Six weeks to think about it. It's not a normal year, but I think it's a year that could potentially suit Arsenal. I'm not sure where it's going to go, but I think the way it's broken up could suit Arsenal. It reminds me of the uh, <laughs> the Lakers bubble championship, right? It suited them at the time, and I think it's, it, it could suit us. We, we haven't quite got the mental strength to go for a whole season yet. But having two seasons in one, I really think it's going to be beneficial for the youngest team in the league to maintain its presence at the top end of the league. That's all I want. Presence at the top end. And then 
and then we go from we'll see what happens later on right but i i do think sometimes circumstances people think they're against us but i actually think they could be for us it's a a really good point clive i i think for a young small team to be able to squad to be able to be where we are right now is more than people expected instead of the sort of compounding impact of that stress and pressure, just building and building and building all season long. Now you get a break and it lifts a bit. They're saying to take your mind off it a bit. Then you come back and you got to do it not for, you know, the whole season, but sort of part of the rest of the season. And oh, by the way, there's a January window. So you more quickly accelerate to the point where you can strengthen based on your position. Maybe get some players fit and rested. Zinchenko might even exist. I, I can't prove it, but he might. Um, you know, and here's the really uh, amazing thing. So Man City, to be fair, I mean, they they host Fulham in their next game. And then they uh, host Brentford. So I think it's fair to suggest that they are likely taking six points. Which would put them on 35. We need to win our next two to go into the break top of the table, okay? If we draw and win, we will be level on points but likely behind in goal difference unless we beat um, Wolves 10-0, which again, you know, it's always out there, just waiting to happen. But I, I really believe that as long as we can not lose to Chelsea and then find a way past the second from bottom team in the league... We're going to go into the World Cup break at least level on points at the top of the table. And that is an incredible position for this team to be in. And so, you know, and and obviously we could go beat Chelsea. I mean, Brighton found it light work. And we could go beat Wolves and go into this break top of the table. So it it is an incredible place to be. And I I tend to agree with Clive at this point now that while I don't want this season to stop, I I want us to play every single day the way we're playing right now, I think the break can play to us. So as a, as a final thought, Tim, we now, we know the mission, right? I mean, take some points off Chelsea and worst case scenario, not worst case, but most likely you're going to go into this inter, this this World Cup break, top of the table, or at least joint top of the table. It's, it's such an incredible position to be in. Do you think that the impending break might just be what this team needs to, to just release the pressure valve for a bit, get away from the stress of being top of the table, and then come back and maybe feeling a little rested emotionally or psychologically, go try to do it for four more months, whatever the case may be. Yeah, definitely. And like the the level of expectation on us even now is is really, really low. Like nobody, yep. including our own fans, even think it's like, I mean, listen, there's probably a deeper conversation to be had about what that says about the Premier League at the moment, that the team that's been top all the way through, nobody's giving a chance. Like yeah. six, yeah. seven to one with the bookies when you've been and and by the way, I don't think that's incorrect either. Like that's by the way, much uh, Scott's model has us up to seventeen percent for the title, which wow. I mean that is, honestly, that is actually pretty incredible. So yeah. uh, if you told me after 12 games we'd, we'd be 17% for a title, I'd be stunned. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and again, the way I've been looking at it all season is not really Man City. I've been looking at putting a buffer to some of mm-hmm. those teams. And, and the phrase I used about the PSV game, which thousand foot view, the result, not so much the performance, but the result, I used the phrase, we gave ourselves the right to lose that game. 
by everything we've done in the Europa League. I kind of view, if I'm honest, Southampton the draw as well. We we gave ourselves the right to draw an away game, which, you know, when you look at it, again, to your point, look at what Brighton did to Chelsea um, this weekend. And we've had a discussion just now, haven't we, about how, how different away games are. Like, we gave ourselves the right to have, like, a bit of a dodgy draw against Southampton. And, and that's, again, like Chelsea, like, if we draw that game, not a big drama and and it just feels nice to have that kind of buffer um again if if we really thought we were serious title contenders it would be nope you got to get 3 points every game and i think that's obviously like the the type of mentality that arteta wants to build but me being the fan and everything i'm kind of sitting there thinking yeah if we draw away at chelsea that's that's a good result like i can't remember the last time i really felt like that because it always felt like we were really chasing something or like ah oh, shit we've like we've lost at home or drawn at home to Nottingham Forest now we have to win at Stamford Bridge we have to win at Spurs we have to do this we have to do that like what I see at the moment is is that we're we're building a bit of a buffer and in terms of the World Cup as well we're not you know I've been through this in my mind a lot that look like most teams the pressure points are probably our biggest players but actually like we haven't got that many going to the World Cup and the ones that are like a lot of them probably won't go that deep. Really, it's Jesus and Saka um, are the ones with the potential, but Jesus doesn't really start for Brazil. Um, Saka for England doesn't necessarily start every game, but he'll get plenty of minutes. And obviously Thomas Partey. And that's not because any of us really think, sorry to any Ghanaian listeners, that Ghana are going to go deep. It's more that like, fuck he's probably going to play three games a week in a week or whatever in the group stage yeah. and you know what what will that do but you know i don't really know how far garner will go but even if he does pick up like a bit of a tight calf or something there should be like a bit of a buffer um yep. really so so i don't think we're massively vulnerable um you know unless like yeah unless Saka or someone like that gets gets smashed to pieces which is obviously a possibility so I, I just I just think we're in a really nice position Elliot because really I think what we're all still really thinking about is just making sure that we're in the top four and if we're if we're thinking like that then yeah we're looking good if we even if we draw both yeah. of our league games left yeah and and Saka getting injured I mean maybe lessens the blow emotionally of him losing his place to Nelson anyway. So there you go. Uh, I, I will say too, I think it, it flies under the radar in a five nil, but this is a game where the opposition tried to kick us, you know, where they tried to kick Saka, kicked him out of the game. They tried to kick Shaka, push him around, get in their head. There was a lot of niggly fouls and things like that. And we just smashed him. We just went about our business and smashed him. And I think that was an important point, too, because coming out of the Southampton game and maybe even the Leeds game, the idea of, well, if you get physical with Arsenal, this Arsenal team still has a maybe a bit of a frailty if you get physical and you get into the duels. And today they try, or you know, on this day they tried it, and they got smashed. And you need to be able to do that to give teams a second thought about trying that approach to get the better of you. I think we should leave it there. We'll definitely be doing a rewatch on Patreon, and I would suggest it's going to be the second half, so we're going to get to see the reset the reset all over again. Uh, Paul and I can 
have our debate about the Zurich lineup after the Zurich lineup comes out. You don't want to miss that. Uh, we'll start it on Twitter. We'll continue it in Discord, and we'll finish it on the Instant Reaction. So uh, a three-parter, three-part ding-dong over the lineup for Zurich coming this Thursday. More than anything, I hope everybody enjoyed what was a really fun five-star performance from Arsenal. Great to see the goals going in, and really, really savvy of Jesus to save his for Chelsea next weekend. So good things all around. We'll leave it there. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Stuberta. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can bot me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Lots more to come. Wonderful, wonderful season rolls on, and it is Zurich on Thursday, which, as you know, I believe is going to end with me saying we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Zurich, nope.